Happy New Year. I'm not crazy. Today is actually the start of a new year. Not according to the sun, not according to the moon, not according to the tax man, but according to the church. The church also has a calendar and it's shaped by the story of God coming to humanity. From the incarnation at Christmas to the crucifixion and resurrection at Easter to the Spirit's outpouring at Pentecost. So, Happy New Year. And I know you might be feeling, Mark, I, I really don't need another big New Year celebration, especially not this round when there's all of two and a half minutes between the calendar New Year and the Chinese New Year. But if that's you, don't worry, because the church's New Year is not like the others. We don't start with a bang. We start with quiet. We don't start with fireworks. We start in the dark. We begin with a season of watching and waiting that we call Advent. And today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent simply means coming or arriving. And what's coming? Well, yes, Christmas is coming, but Christmas is coming because Christ is coming. That's what we're watching and waiting for. And in fact, during the season of Advent, we meditate on the coming of God to be with us in three different senses. Of course, during Advent, we remember the coming of God into the world as a baby in flesh, born in Jesus Christ. That's the incarnation, the first coming. But also at Advent, we remember that this same Jesus will come again. And when he comes, he will bring the kingdom he inaugurated with his death and resurrection to its final fulfillment. And he will judge and redeem all creation. That's the second coming. And then between those two, we also remember that this same Jesus comes to each one of us each day. He tells us in Matthew 28, surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. And in John 14, he tells us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So that's how this new year starts, in the dark and in the quiet, as a number of our amazing Christmas services will begin over the next few weeks, watching and waiting and receiving again the gift of Jesus. So Happy New Year, and today we turn to a passage from the prophet Isaiah, and it's an Advent passage. It's about a coming or an arriving. It begins in the dark, and it speaks of what is to come. Let's read together. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, 
the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onwards and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this season of watching and waiting, may we catch a glimpse of your son, Jesus, and receive all that he wants to give us today. Amen. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. When I read this passage, the first thing that comes to my mind are all the big reveal, we're having a baby, hooray, announcements that we see on social media these days. Is it just me or has telling people you're having a baby become a creative industry unto itself over the past few years? Here's an example I quite liked. Just don't ask me to sing it for you. Here's another one that became a bit of a meme a couple of years ago. A little harsh, perhaps. And then here's another one, a more topical one. Well, these first chapters of Isaiah's prophecy are all about a baby. These chapters are all about a big reveal, an announcement. They keep coming back to a birth unlike any other. And the announcement of this baby is really rather strange in a number of ways, perhaps even weirder than some of the ones I've just showed you. For a start, the arrival of this child is, for Isaiah, the turning point. It changes everything. So part of this big reveal is that this child is the one who will bring about a great nevertheless, a great but now, after all that has come before, which is how our passage today begins. Part of the big reveal is that this birth will mark the end of the former time and the beginning of the latter time. And this child will be a light that shines into people's darkness. Now, of course, those of you with children may well say to me, yes, Mark, though they are, of course, the little lights of my life, I absolutely do consider the arrival of children to be the dividing line between the former time and the latter time. And life BC, before children, is now but a distant memory. And believe me, I know precisely what you mean, but stay with me, it's not just that that Isaiah's talking about. To get a sense of this darkness and this former time, we have to know a little bit about what's going on in Isaiah's time, and perhaps flick back through the previous chapters. They don't make for easy reading, by the way. Isaiah is a prophet called by God to speak to his people, Israel. It's the 8th century BC, that's before Christ, by the way, not before children. And the community of God is a community that has been broken and is lost and endangered. 
The northern part of Israel has been conquered by the Assyrians. It's been plundered and its people have been forcibly relocated to live and serve in a foreign empire. And that's what our reading today narrates for us. It says the people walked in darkness and it mentions these lands of Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee of the nations. This is the path that God's people walked into their exile and captivity. It's like an image of the little lights going out one after another. And having walked in darkness, now God's people live in deep darkness, Isaiah tells us. In other words, this is a people who have lived through a season of decline, who've seen those lights going out, and now this is a people who in the wake of that continue to sit and live and dwell in darkness. Maybe you know someone who's living in that sort of place at the start of this Advent season. Maybe you identify with that scenario yourself. The decline was hard, but now you've made it through, the end of the line is still hard. And in these opening chapters, Isaiah says that Israel, as they sit in darkness, they must learn again. They must learn again how to seek God. And they must learn again how to live as God created this community to live in the world. How to be a community of justice and of righteousness for all. And yet, the people are under the poor leadership of an unfaithful king who is making things worse. And for now at least, they live under constant threat of invasion. They are paying heavy bills to foreign powers to guarantee their safety. And they have seemingly little chance of things ever being otherwise than they are right now. They've walked in darkness and now they are sitting in darkness. They've lost what they had, their present is insecure, and their future is uncertain. That's how Isaiah 8 ends. And again, maybe it's a shoe that fits parts of our world or parts of our lives today. There will be individuals, families hearing this who feel they've walked in darkness or they have walked in darkness and now they're sitting, living in darkness. But then Isaiah 9 begins, and now comes the big reveal. Because in the darkness, there's this flickering rumor. The rumor of a God of compassion who will forgive and comfort. The rumor of a God of renewal who will not only restore, but multiply and bring joy. A light shining in the darkness. And when we hear that he will make glorious the way of the sea, the image is reversed. The image now is of all those lights going back on as the Israel that once walked in darkness in captivity now walks back into light in freedom. For Isaiah 9, something or someone is coming. The light is coming. But then Isaiah starts talking about a baby. All of this hinges upon the birth of a mysterious child. And so the question we have to ask is, who is this child? And that brings us to the second weird thing about this baby announcement, this big reveal in Isaiah 9. I have friends who have given their children beautiful names. 
I also have friends who've given their children long and somewhat unusual names, but never have I come across a baby whose name is quite like this baby's name. This baby announcement says, please welcome to the world a son, and his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in the Hebrew, all these words flow together as though they're a single name. And in case anyone listening in is looking for baby names at the moment, here's how you'd roughly spell this Hebrew name. Just please don't ask me to pronounce it. I'd sooner sing Ice Ice Baby. Let's face it, not even a Hollywood A-lister child could pull this name off. But names matter to Isaiah because they have meaning. They tell you something about who this child is and what he's going to do and the difference it will make. Who is this child? Well, it's all in the name. First, we hear that his name will be Wonderful Counselor. A counselor is somebody wise who can speak hope and possibility and direction into a situation. A counselor is someone who sees things clearly, sees how things really are and sees what needs to change. But more than that, who also has the skill and the resources to take people where they need to go. Where Israel has abandoned and lost its counsel, God is about to restore it through the provision of a counselor who will be not just a truth teller, telling it like it is, but a way maker, a wondrous counselor, somebody wise like no other, who knows our situation and who knows a way through our situation. You know, it's remarkably rare to find people in life who will tell it to you like it really is and tell you what needs to happen with a genuine heart to turn things around for your good. But that is precisely who Isaiah tells us this child is going to be. And then second, his name is Mighty God. And now Isaiah writes to this people who've lost their power politically and militarily, a people who've been plundered, who've lost possessions, property, who've been moved across the land to a new place, a people who feel incredibly vulnerable. And in the midst of their weakness, God, through this child, promises them his might. He is the one who brings God's strength into our weakness, who brings God's riches into our poverty, God's victory into our defeat, God's healing into our brokenness. And then thirdly, his name is also Everlasting Father. To this people who've lost a sense of identity, who've literally been uprooted and transported. This child comes now from the one who has not forgotten them to tell the people once again who they really are, where they really come from. This part of the name can also actually be translated as father of the future. And I love that because it reminds us that this child to come will also usher something new into being where we see barrenness, where we see only the end of the line. He fathers a new future for God's people. And then lastly, his name is Prince of Peace. He will meet people in their fears. 
He will meet them in their anxieties and unknowns. His very presence will change the mood, change the conversation. And his work will be to bring order out of chaos and reconciliation in broken relationships. And here we have to remember that peace throughout scripture is not just defined negatively. It's not just the absence of conflict or the absence of struggle. Shalom, peace, is positively defined in the Bible. Peace, which is life as God intended in all its fullness. It's harmony, it's belonging, it's flourishing together in every aspect of life. And this child is to be the prince of that peace. So that's what this baby is going to be called. And what a name. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And when he comes, he will be the one to bring to the people wisdom and power and hope and peace. What he is called is who he is. And remember too that just a couple of chapters before, in Isaiah 7, we have another name for this child. We hear that a young woman with child will bear a son and will name him Emmanuel, a name that means God with us. This child will be God with us. And now here's a third strange thing about this baby announcement, both his name and also the other things Isaiah goes on to say. You see, normally birth announcements, they tell us things like, you know, he was born on such and such a date, he weighed so many pounds, he measured so many inches. But this birth announcement, it's a bit like receiving and opening up a WhatsApp message and reading, such and such was born safe and well last Friday, she will be an excellent tennis player. She will study in London, will play the violin reasonably well and make a cracking Maggie Me. Isaiah's baby announcement is truly unusual because it's telling us not just who this child is or what he's called, but what this child will grow up to achieve. First, we hear he will grow up to be like a new King David, a new king who will create a kingdom that will last forever. We hear that his authority and his peace will grow continually. And in fact, this kingdom is described for us here in ways that show us that it is a kingdom like no other. In Isaiah 11, in a couple of chapters time, we're going to hear that this king will not just gather in the exiles of Israel, the way of the sea made glorious, but will also invite in people from all across the nations. All people will be invited. This is a kingdom into which all are invited, into which you and I are invited. And here in Isaiah 9, we hear that he will be a ruler who will not so much wage and win a war as win against war itself. He will bring about reconciliation, such deep reconciliation that even the boots and clothes of battle can be burnt and the swords and spears repurposed into plowshares and pruning hooks. We don't need them anymore. And even creation, we hear, will experience healing. Wolves will lie down with lambs and calves with lions. We also hear that this king's kingdom will be one always shaped by justice and righteousness for all. These two go together 
in scripture and they're uh, the language of God's covenant with his people, justice and righteousness, a compassionate response to those in need, justice and righteousness, a reordering of society for the well-being and inclusion of all. And so we hear that this king will not only shine into the darkness of people's hearts, but that he will also break the burden of oppression that sits on their shoulders. And so again, we ask, who is this child? Well, no doubt in the eighth century BC, Isaiah saw some fulfillment of his vision with the arrival of a new and better king to the throne, Hezekiah who would call people back to God and would restore some sense of peace and hope. But that fulfillment was very partial and very short-lived. Beyond that first fulfillment, there is a second. And so the book of Isaiah as a whole goes on hoping for the fulfillment of these words. Isaiah 43, for example, says this, I formed you and I will redeem you. I will gather you. Do not remember the former things, or consider the things of old, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? So in Isaiah 43, we're still hoping for this fulfillment. And by the time of the first century, these words from Isaiah 9 were being whispered in hope that there would be someone to come, a Messiah for God's people, who would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And from the earliest days, the church perceived the fulfillment of these words in Jesus. Isaiah 9 is a big reveal of the one who's coming we begin to watch and wait for today, the first Sunday in Advent. And that brings us to the very last odd thing about this baby announcement, this big reveal, which is that it turned out to be made 800 years in advance of his birth. Sure enough, 800 years later, there was another very strange baby announcement, but this time it was delivered not by a prophet, but by an angel concerning the Son of God, whose kingdom will have no end, who will be conceived in the power of the Spirit and born to a woman named Mary and called Jesus. And once this baby grew up, people would marvel at the wisdom of his teaching and his counsel. People would be awestruck by his power to forgive, heal, and deliver. People would discover who they were again and find hope in a new community of the Heavenly Father. And people would find their hearts, their minds, their relationships, their lives changed as they began to live within the kingdom of this Prince of Peace. And this king would be different from all others. Just as Isaiah 9 tells us that the government will be on this king's shoulders in order to lift the bar of oppression off the shoulders of his people, so too this king, Jesus, would bear our sin in order to lift from us the bar of oppression. He would mend every breach and burden between us and God and between our fellow human beings. So that's the big reveal. It's Jesus. And I wonder, during this Advent, as we begin today to watch and wait for his coming, 
in what ways do we need this child, this king, this son to give us wisdom? Where do we feel at a loss? He is our wonderful counselor. Where do we need his power today? Where do we feel weak or empty? Because he is our mighty God. Where do we need hope in this season? Where do we feel disoriented, despairing? He is our everlasting father. He is the father of our future. And where do we need his peace? Where are we worried, conflicted, broken or divided? He comes to us today as the Prince of Peace. If you resonate with any of those things, we would love to pray with you today. And then secondly, I wonder, during this Advent, if we are citizens of his kingdom, where and how are we called to be citizens? How can we be conduits of God's wisdom, power, hope and peace to others in this season? How can we seek his justice and righteousness in the relationships, the organizations, the situations in which we are involved? How can we be people through whom his authority and peace continue to continually grow? Maybe God's putting a finger on someone or something. Maybe you've got a fresh sense of calling to do something or to use your skills or resources as part of his kingdom expansion in this season? Those are just some questions to take into this Advent and also to take into prayer and worship in a few moments. We're going to begin to respond to God now together by sharing informal communion.